Section five of The Passenger from Calais by Arthur Griffiths. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Irie. Chapter nine. I secured a place with difficulty. There was rather a rush for the St. Gotthard Express when it ran in. It was composed, as usual, of corridor carriages, all classes en suite, and I knew that it would be impossible to conceal the fact that I was on board the train. Within five minutes Jules had verified the fact and taken seats in the immediate neighbourhood, to which he and the Colonel presently came. "'Quite a pleasant little party,' he said in a bantering tone. "'All bound for Lucano, eh? Ever been to Lucano before, Mr. Falfani? Delightful lake, Maggior. Many excursions, especially by steamer. The Borromean Islands, well worth seeing, and Baveno and Stresna, and the road to the Simplon.' I refused to be drawn, and only muttered that I hated excursions and steamers and lakes, and wished to be left in peace. A little out of sorts, I'm afraid, Mr. Felfani. Sad, that. Too many emotions. Want of sleep, perhaps. You would do too much last night. He still kept up his hateful babble, and Jules maddened me by his sniggering enjoyment of my discomfiture. More than ever did I set my brain to puzzle out some way of escaping this horrible infliction. Was it not possible to give them the slip somehow, somewhere? I took the colonel's hint, and pretended to take refuge in sleep, and at last, I believe, I dozed off. It must have been in my dreams that an idea came to me, a simple idea, easy of execution with luck and determination. It was suggested to me by the short tunnels that succeeded so frequently in the ascent of the St. Gotthard Alps. They are, as most people know, a chief feature in the mountain railway, and a marvel of engineering skill, being cut in circles to give the necessary length, and gain the height with a moderate gradient. Speed is so far slackened that it would be quite possible to drop off the train without injury, whenever inclined. My only difficulty would be to alight without interference from my persecutors. I nursed the project with eyes shut, still feigning sleep, and my extreme quiescence had, as I hoped, the effect of throwing them off their guard. Jules, like all in the same employment, was always ready for forty winks, and I saw that he was sound and snoring just as we entered the last tunnel before reaching the entrance of the final great tunnel at Goshenen. I could not be quite sure of the colonel, but his attitude was that of a man resting, and who had very nearly lost himself, if he had not quite gone off. Now was my time. If it was to be done at all, it must be quickly, instantaneously almost. Fortunately, we sat at the extreme end of a coach, in the last places, and besides we three there was only one other occupant in the compartment of six— the fourth passenger was awake, but I made a bid for his goodwill by touching my lips with a finger, and the next minute I was gone. I expected to hear the alarm given at my disappearance, but none reached my ears as the train rattled past me with its twinkling lights and noisy road. I held myself close against the side of the tunnel in perfect safety, although the hot wind of the passing cars fanned my cheek and rather terrified me. The moment the train was well gone, I faced the glimmering light that showed the entrance to the tunnel at the farther end from the station, and ran to it with all speed. I knew that my jump from the train could not pass unnoticed, and I counted on being followed. 
i expected that the tunnel would be explored by people from goshenen so soon as the train ran in and reported my first object therefore was to quit the line and i did so directly i was clear of the tunnel i climbed the fence dropped into a road left that again to ascend the slope and take shelter among the rocks and trees the pursuit if any was not very keen or long maintained when all was quiet an hour later i made for the high road the famous old road that leads through the devil's pass to andermatt three miles above i altogether avoided the goshenen station fearing any inconvenient inquiries and abandoned all idea of getting the telegram from tiller that might be possibly awaiting me it did not much matter i should be obliged now to send him fresh news news of the changed plans that took me direct into brieg and on entering andermatt i came upon the post-office just where i wanted it both to send my message and order an extra post-carriage from brieg it was with a sense of intense relief that i sank back into the cushions and felt that at last i was free my satisfaction was abruptly destroyed long before i reached hospenthal a mile or so from andermatt i was disturbed by strange cries to the accompaniment of harness bells yoikes yoikes gone away was borne after me with all the force of stentorian lungs and looking round i saw to my horror a second carriage coming on at top speed and beyond all question aiming to overtake us soon they drew nearer near enough for speech and the accursed colonel hailed me why you cunning fox so you broke cover and got away all in a moment lucky you were seen leaving the train or we might have overrun the scent and gone on i did not answer nice morning for a drive mr falfani and a long drive he went on laughing boisterously going all the way to brieg by road i believe so are we pity we did not join forces one carriage would have done for all three of us still i did not speak a bit ugly eh don't fuss man it's all in the day's work with that i desired my driver to pull up and waved my hand to the others motioning them that the road was theirs but when i stopped they stopped and the colonel jeered when i drove on they came along too laughing we did this several times and when at the two roads just through hospenthal one by the st gotthard the other leading to the furka i took the first for a short distance then turned back just to try my pursuers they still stuck to me my heart sank within me i was in this accursed soldier's claws he had collared me he was on my back and i felt that i must throw up the sponge i gave you fair notice that you would not get rid of me and by heaven you shall not he cried fiercely putting off all at once the lighter mockery of his tone i know what is taking you to brieg you think to find your confederate there and you hope that combined the two of you will get the better of that lady you shan't not if i can prevent you by any means in my power understand that and look out for squalls if you try i confess he cowed me he was so strong so masterful and as i began to fear so unscrupulous that i felt i could not make head against him certainly not alone i must have tiller's help his counsel countenance active support i must get in touch with him at the earliest possible moment and my nearest way to him situated as i was now must be at or through brieg 
so I resigned myself to my fate, and suffered myself to be driven on with my pertinacious escort hanging on to me mile after mile of my wearing and interminable journey. We pulled up for luncheon and a short rest at the Furka, again in the afternoon at the Rhone Glacier. Then we pursued our way all along the valley, with the great snow-peak of the Matterhorn in front of us, through village and hamlet in the fast-fading light, and so on, under the dark but luminous sky, into Munster, Feish, and Morrill, till at length we rolled into Brieg about eleven p.m. I drove straight to the Hotel de la Poste, careless that my tormentors were accompanying me. They could do me no more harm, and Tiller was at hand to help in vindicating our position. There was no Tiller at the Hotel de la Poste, no Tiller in Brieg, only a brief telegram from him conveying unwelcome and astounding intelligence. It had been dispatched from Vevey about 2 p.m., and it said, "'Lost her somewhere between this and Lausanne. I'm trying back. Shall wire you again to Brieg. Wait there or leave address.' My face must have betrayed my abject despair. I was so completely knocked over that I offered no opposition when the colonel impudently took the telegram out of my hand and read it coolly. "'Drawn blank!' he cried, unable to contain himself for joy. "'By the Lord Harry, that's good!' CHAPTER Ten, THE STATEMENT OF THE SECOND DETECTIVE, LUDOVIC TILLER I travelled via Ostend, Brussels, and Strasbourg, and was due at Basel from that side at 4.35 a.m. My instructions were to look out for Falfani there, and thought I might do so if our train was fairly punctual, as it was. We were on time, and the answer to my first question was that the Lucerne Express was still at the platform, but on the point of departure. I got one glimpse of Falfani, and one word with him. He was in trouble himself. They had nipped him, caught him tight, and thrown him off the scent— I was now to take up the running. "'You've got your chance now, Ludovic,' he said hurriedly, as he leaned out of the carriage window. "'I'm not jealous, as you often are, but it's deuced hard on me. Anyhow, stick to her like wax, and keep your eyes skinned. She's got the wiles of the devil, and will sell you like a dog, if you don't mind. Hurry now, you'll pick her up in the waiting-room or restaurant, and can't miss her.' He gave me the description, and I left him, promising him a wire at the telegraph office Lucerne. He was right. There was no mistaking her. Few people were about at that time in the morning, and there was not a soul among the plain-headed, commonplace Swiss folk to compare with her, an English lady with her belongings. She was quite a beauty, tall, straight, lissom in her tight-fitting ulster, her piquant-looking heather cap perched on chestnut curls, and setting off as handsome a face as I have ever seen. And I have seen and admired many, for I don't deny that I have a strong penchant for pretty women, and this was the pick of the basket. It was rather a bore to be put on to her in the way of business, but why should I not get a little pleasure out of it if I could? I need not be disagreeable.' It might help matters and pass the time pleasantly, even if in the end I might have to show my teeth. I saw her looking me over as I walked into the waiting-room, curiously, critically, and for a moment I fancied she guessed who I was. Had she seen me talking to Falfani? If so, 
if she thought me one of her persecutors she would hardly look upon me without repugnance yet i almost believed that it was all the other way i had an idea that she did not altogether dislike me that she was pleased with my personal appearance why not i had had my success in my time and may say although it sounds conceited that i had won the approval of other ladies quite as high-toned by and by it might be my unpleasant duty to be disagreeable in the meantime it would be amusing enjoyable to make friends so far i had still to ascertain the direction in which she was bound she had taken her ticket that might be safely inferred for she was in the waiting-room with her porter and her bags ready to pass out upon the platform as soon as the doors were opened every one knows that the idiotic and uncomfortable practice still prevails in switzerland of shutting passengers off from the train till the very last moment this waiting-room served for many lines and i could only wait patiently to enter the particular train for which she would be summoned when at length an official unlocked the door and announced the train for Beale, neuchatel lausanne and brigue she got up to take her seat and i had no longer any doubt as to the direction of her journey so as i saw her go i slipped back to the ticket office and took my place all the way to brigue the furthest point on the line this was obviously my best and safest plan as i should then be ready for anything that happened i could get out anywhere wherever she did in fact after getting my ticket i found time to telegraph to falfani at lucerne giving him my latest news and then proceeded to the train i found the lady easily enough and got into the same carriage with her it was one of those on the swiss plan with many compartments opening into one another en suite although the seat i chose was at a discreet distance i was able to keep her in view i was wondering whether it would be possible for me to break the ice and make her acquaintance when luck served me better than i dared to hope one of the swiss guards of the train a surly overbearing brute like so many others of his class accosted her rudely and from his gestures was evidently taking her to task as to the number and size of her parcels in the net above he began to shift them and despite her indignant protests in imperfect german threw some of them on the floor this was my opportunity i hurried to the rescue and being fluent in german as in several other languages it is part of my stock in trade i sharply reproved the guard and called him an unmannerly bore for his cowardly treatment of an unprotected lady my reward was a sweet smile and i felt encouraged to hazard a few words in reply to her cordial thanks she responded quickly readily and i thought i might improve the occasion by politely inquiring if i could be of any further service to her perhaps you can tell me you see i am strange on this line she answered with a perfectly innocent air do you happen to know at what time we are due at lausanne not to the minute i replied i have a railway guide in my bag shall i fetch it no no i should not like to give you so much trouble but it will be no trouble let me fetch my bag i went off in perfect good faith anxious to oblige so charming a lady i had not the slightest suspicion that she was playing with me silly ass that i was i failed to detect the warning that dropped from her own lips when i got back with the bradshaw i came upon them for just one moment unawares the maid must have been making some remarks displeasing to my lady who was answering her with much asperity 
"'I know what I'm doing, Philpotts. Be so good as to leave it to me. It is the only way.' Then she caught sight of me as I stood before her, and her manner instantly changed. She addressed me very sweetly, and with utmost composure. "'Oh, how very good of you. I feel quite ashamed of myself.' "'Why should you? It is delightful to be of use to you. Lausanne, I think you said.' I asked casually as I turned over the pages of the guide. "'You are going to Lausanne?' "'No, vivez tout Montreux. I only wanted to know whether there would be time for déjeuner at Lausanne. I think there is no dining-car on this train.' "'No, it's on the next, which is extraordinarily bad mismanagement. It is a slow train, the next, and we are a special express. But you will have a clear half-hour to spare at Lausanne. That will be enough, I presume.' Lausanne at twelve noon, and we go on at half-past. You, too, are going beyond Lausanne? Possibly. I am not quite sure. It depends on my meeting friends somewhere on the lake, either there or further on. If they come on board, we shall run on to Brieg so as to drop over the Alps to Lake Maggiore by the Simplon route. I threw this out carelessly, but with a deliberate intention, and the shot told— a crimson flush came over her face, and her hands trembled violently. I had not the smallest doubt that this was her plan also. She was bound to cross over into Italy, that we knew, or our employers firmly believed it, and as she had been driven off the St. Gotthard by Falfani, she had now doubled back by Switzerland to make the journey to Brieg and across the mountains by road. I had scored as I thought, but I forgot that in gaining the knowledge I had betrayed my own intentions— and put her upon her guard. I was to pay for this. "'Oh, really?' she said quietly, and with polite interest, having entirely recovered her composure. "'I dare say a very pleasant drive. How long does it take? Have you any idea? And how do you travel?' "'It is about nine hours by diligence,' I said, consulting the Bradshaw, "'and the fare is forty francs, but by private carriage or extra post a good deal more.' "'May I look?' and I handed her the book. "'Although I never could understand Bradshaw,' she added pleasantly. "'I shall be very pleased to explain if you are in doubt,' I suggested. But she declined laughingly, saying it would amuse her to puzzle out things, so I left her the book and composed myself into a corner while the train rattled on. I mused and dozed and dreamily watched her pretty face admiringly, as she pored over the pages of the guide, little thinking she was perfecting a plan for my undoing. The first stop was at Biel, or Bien, its French name, and there was a halt of ten minutes or more. I made my way to the telegraph office in the station, where, to my great satisfaction, I found a message from Falfani, informing me that he should make the best of his way to Brieg, unless I could suggest something better. The answer I dispatched at once to Goshenen was worded as follows— declares she is going to Montreux only, believe untrue, still think her destination Brieg, come on there anyhow and await further from me, may be necessary to join forces. We were in accord, Falfani and I, and in communication. I was well satisfied with what we were doing, and on receiving the second and third telegrams at Neuchâtel and Iverdun, I was all the more pleased.' At last we were nearing Lausanne, and I looked across to my lady to prepare her for getting out. I had no need to attract her attention, for I caught her eyes fixed on me, and believed she was watching me furtively. 
the smile that came upon her lips was so pleasant and sweet that it might have overjoyed a more conceited man than myself are we near then delightful i was never so hungry in my life and the smile expanded into a gay laugh as she rose to her feet and was ready to leave the carriage i'm afraid you will have to wait philpotts we cannot leave that she pointed to the child nestling sound asleep by her side but i will send or bring you something this gentleman will perhaps escort me to the refreshment room i agreed of course and saying only too charmed i led the way a long way for the restaurant is at the far end of the platform at last we sat down tete-a-tete -tete, and prepared to do full justice to the meal strange to say despite her anticipations she proved to have very little appetite i must have waited too long she said as she trifled with a cutlet i shall perhaps like something else better and she went carefully through the whole menu so that the time slipped away and we were within five minutes of departure and poor dear philpotts i had quite forgotten her come and help me choose and in duty bound i gallantly carried the food back to the train i walked ahead briskly and making my way to the places where we had left the maid and child jumped in they were gone the two of them everything was gone rugs bags belongings people the seats were empty and as the compartment was quite empty too no one could tell me when they had left or where they had gone i turned quickly round to my companion who was i thought following close at my heels and found to my utter amazement that she also had disappeared End of section five.